From WGCU News, I'm Julie Glenn, and this is Gulf Coast Life. Last Wednesday, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced its plans to delist 22 animals from the Endangered Species Act list. Not because they've been saved, but because the agency considers them extinct. Among that list is a bird whose supposed sightings and diehard believers have made it somewhat of a Sasquatch among ornithologists for decades. According to scientists, there hasn't been a credible sighting of an ivory-billed woodpecker since 1944. FGC's Dr. Jerry Jackson, who wrote a book on the bird, talked with me about his concerns for the habitat that will no longer be protected for the large woodpecker's sake. To engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, you can find us on Facebook at WGCU Public Media or on Twitter. We're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. Now to the conversation with Dr. Jerry Jackson. Were you surprised by the news that the ivory-billed woodpecker is now deemed to be extinct? Uh, I was totally surprised because I served on the recovery team for the species And as a recovery team member, I assumed that I would have heard something about it before the news came out. I heard of it on the news. So you weren't contacted by um, Fish and Wildlife about what your feelings were on the subject? I was not. No. Hmm. That's surprising since you're the one that wrote the book on it. Well, I wrote a book on it, and uh, it's been a very popular book. And uh, I guess I let my feelings be known in the book, perhaps. That what? That the ivory-billed woodpecker is uh, likely extinct. Uh, And so I I agree with the decision. But it's important to realize that you can't be certain of extinction. Uh, We can prove something exists, but we can't prove that it doesn't exist. And so a decision to call something extinct is a bureaucratic decision in many cases, particularly a species as widespread as as the ivory bill, uh, not a scientific decision. It's likely that it is extinct, but that's been true for more than 30 years. You think so? Yeah. Uh, Where was their area that they would fly in when they were around? Uh, Ivory-billed woodpeckers are birds that were uh, had a range as far north as Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, East Texas, and across the southeast, up the Atlantic coast, maybe as far as South Carolina, perhaps a little farther north than that. But uh, they had a widespread distribution in mature, old-growth uh, swamp forests bordering on old-growth pine. And it's important to realize that this bird used the pine trees as well as the swamp forest and required both for its sources of food and nesting sites. So what disappeared to make the bird disappear? Which tree? It wasn't which tree. It was all the trees. It Uh was cutting of the forest, draining of the swamps, replacing forests with um, soybean fields and things like that. And in addition... Shooting. Uh, People used to eat them. They were believed to really have an ivory bill, and so they were very often shot for the bill, and the ivory was was saved and and used. uh, Far smaller than a tusk. Yeah, a lot smaller than a tusk, but they believed that it was valuable, and and so birds were, were killed. Add to that that this was a specialist 
uh, a bird that fed extensively on the larvae of very large beetles that were associated with trees that were dying of old age. And they needed the big trunks of the tree uh, for their larvae to grow. And uh, they would lay their eggs on the trunk of a tree that was dying. And then the larvae would burrow into the wood and grow for two years before they emerged on the surface again. And they would go into a dormant stage just under the bark of the tree that was then dead. And all the ivory bill had to do was to knock the bark off to get its lunch. It just picked them off the shelf. Did he just not want to diversify his diet? They just didn't eat anything other than that? Oh, they would eat other things. They would eat grapes and they would eat fruit in the forest and they would eat other kinds of insects, but they were, were specialists. And they required big old dead trees that were trees that were recently dead. And so they needed a wide range of habitat. Uh, on average, they would use uh, an area of over seven square miles to forage. And that's a big area for a bird to forage over. And so if you consider that a pair would need at least seven square miles of habitat in order to exist, uh, think how much habitat it would take for a population of those birds to exist. It would have to be extensive. And that's been taken away. Uh, that's been taken away. It was taken away by cutting for utility poles, cutting for two-by-fours to build houses, cutting for highways, clearing of land for agriculture. Or development. And the cypress that they used very often died back as a result of draining the swamps. Tell me about this bird. What, what is attractive about this bird to you? I mean, you must like it. Um, well, I study woodpeckers, and I've studied ivory-billed woodpeckers extensively to the extent that you can without actually having seen one. Uh, I did see them in Cuba. I possibly had a sighting in Mississippi one time a long time ago, but uh, no firm evidence to say to prove that, yes, it was there. Ivory-billed woodpeckers are the largest of North American woodpeckers. They have a wingspan of, of over 30 inches, and uh, they are just impressive looking, and they have a unique way of flight. They can fly straight and level uh, if they want to when they're going a long distance, whereas other woodpeckers usually uh, fly by swooping as they go through the air. Ivory-billed woodpeckers are a bird that has disappeared as a result of humans, period. Uh, I noted that one of the articles that came out as a result of this story said climate change. That was the first words in the uh, title of the article. Ivory-billed woodpecker among 23 species declared extinct. Yes, climate change will have an effect on its habitat and might have had an effect on the bird, but it's not just climate change. It's draining of swamps, cutting of forests, we let some of the forests regrow, but when they get to a certain point, we cut them again. Well, so it takes we, a while for them to grow enough to have an old-growth tree that dies of natural causes and has its bark loosen up to where that beetle can lay its larva. Uh, some of the cypresses that they used were hundreds of years old. Uh, some of the pines they used, most of the pines they used would have been hundreds of years old. Uh, so we don't allow that to happen because we don't want fungi to get into the tree or beetles to get into the tree and damage the wood 
we harvest it while it's still young and vigorous. And uh, that doesn't support the birds. And that's true of other endangered species too, such as the red cockaded woodpecker. When you heard this news, though, did you feel like a twinge of sadness? Of course. Uh, it might still be out there. I know that it's a political decision and not a scientific decision. Uh, but by taking endangered status away, it takes away protection of the habitat. And it is important to protect the habitat. I can only hope that taking it away, declaring it extinct, will cause people to want to protect the habitat for the remaining species that are there because there are other species that are disappearing as a result of these habitat changes that, that the ivory-billed woodpecker suffered from. Do you know off the top of your head what other uh, species would be impacted by the same terrain being taken down once the protections are off on some of these old woodlands? Well, there are many species, and, and uh, I mean, other woodpeckers, pileated, uh, red cockaded, red cockaded woodpeckers require old growth pines, and they would have occurred in some of the same areas that, that ivory bills were in, and they are considered uh, endangered also. Uh, we are managing red cockaded woodpeckers and compensating for the loss of old growth by building birdhouses and inserting them into trees by cutting out a section of a tree just big enough to slip a, a birdhouse in, and the birds will use it. But it seriously damages the tree. It's not as sound as the natural cavities those birds make. And it's a stopgap measure that's important, but it's not an answer for getting the bird so that it is no longer endangered. The answer is regrow the old growth forest and manage the forest in a manner so that the old growth is always there. Has an opportunity to get old. Yeah. You know, at yep. this point, they it doesn't have a chance. It makes me kind of nervous about the fact that they might take away more of this forested area. I mean, what if there is one or two of these ivory-billed woodpeckers out there and they could use some space? I mean... well. You know, the bottom line is it's humans who have brought the ivory-billed woodpecker to extinction. It's humans that have brought the red-cockaded woodpecker and other endangered species to the point of endangerment. And it's things that we do, uh, our lack of protection of habitat. But the things that we do are things that uh, we do for our benefit and our profit. And as a result, you know, we, we need good sound timber to build houses. Uh, we need uh, agricultural land to grow our food. And so, you know, we just need to realize that we have to keep a balance. And that balance requires corridors of habitat that will allow species to move around freely in suitable habitat to get from one area to another. And if, if we could, long ago I wrote an article about uh, how we could use our interstate highway system and manage the forests adjacent to the highway so that the forests along the highways were corridors of suitable habitat. Um, that didn't catch on. <laughs> You're like it falls on uh, deaf they'd, ears. They'd, they'd rather put in a McDonald's. Uh, somewhere and, and, and a thousand and, gas stations and, and a thousand gas stations and, and break the chain. 
uh, rather than, than have a, a continuous forest. I want to shift gears real quick and ask you a question that's bothered me, and I've wondered since I was a kid watching Woody Woodpecker. I'm sure that that is a character who stands out for you. Yeah. How do these animals not have headaches? <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, what's important to realize is that they, they don't peck head on onto yeah. the tree. They hit a glancing blow, oh. and they use their bill like a chisel rather than like a hammer. Okay. Because I've watched them, and I was just like, how is this thing? Have we studied them and how their brains are are not just flying around and getting a terrible well, headache? Add, add to their behavioral as, the, the behavioral aspect, uh, a woodpecker's skull is also uh, has a double layer of bone and a cushion that helps protect its brain. So what is it about woodpeckers that um, intrigued you so much that that became the bird that you wanted to know more about? Well, I suppose Woody Woodpecker had something to do with it. <laughs> but uh, I've been interested in, in, in woodpeckers since I was probably eight years old or maybe even younger. Uh, I delivered newspapers for the Des Moines Register, which was a morning newspaper, and nobody else is out at the, that hour of the morning. And I would be out there delivering them, my, my papers, and the birds were waking up. And, and uh, one day I found a pair of red-headed woodpeckers that were making a cavity and a utility pole. And I sat there and watched. I was late in delivering papers that day, but I watched them as they worked. And that was probably the first uh, thing that really um, created uh, an infatuation with the birds. An interest. And then the ivory-billed woodpecker is intriguing for what reason? Because of his unusual ivory-colored bill? Because of the ivory-colored bill, which incidentally is flattened at the tip like a, a carpenter's chisel. Hmm. And they use that like a chisel to chisel to knock the, the uh, bark off the tree to get to the food. Uh, but it's also notable for its size. Uh, it, it's such a big woodpecker. I know, because when you said that people would shoot them to eat them, I'm kind of looking at woodpeckers that I've seen, and I'm like, that's not really worth a lot of the effort, I don't think, because they're yeah. not really that big. But if this guy's as big as you're saying, or he was, it's sadly. A, it's the third largest woodpecker in the world. Huh. Uh, and uh, the one of the large other ones is the great slaty woodpecker of Asia and the imperial woodpecker of Mexico. And the imperial woodpecker of Mexico is probably also extinct. Is there anything that backyard bird enthusiasts could do to attract woodpeckers to yeah. their backyard? Uh, you can put, uh, take a section of a, a dead limb, maybe three feet long, put a screw eye on the top of it, and then drill a hole that is maybe three quarters of an inch in diameter into the, at intervals along that piece of wood, and uh, fill it with a mixture of cornmeal and peanut butter uh, that is sort of the consistency of modeling clay. Mm -hmm. And the woodpeckers will find that. It doesn't need any perches, but they will come to it, and, and they, they love that peanut butter cornmeal mixture. <laughs> Hang it up by the screw eye from a tree limb uh, or from a, a pole, and uh, I guarantee you'll get woodpeckers. What kind of woodpeckers would you anticipate getting here in southwest Florida? Well, we have nine different species of woodpeckers that are known from Florida. 
And the most common woodpecker that's here is the red-bellied woodpecker. And by red belly, uh, I mean that it really, its name means belly. It's way down low, uh, just short of the tail, that there's a patch of red. And you usually can't see that. Mm-hmm. And it's got a white breast. And people think, oh, it's not a red-bellied woodpecker. It's got a white breast. It's, it's got, got a, a white, white, belly, white yeah. belly. But it doesn't. It, it does have a red belly. It's also sometimes called uh, chow-chow mm-hmm. because that's a call that it gives. It goes chow-chow-chow-chow. Oh, okay. Uh, I've y- heard that. Y- you'll, you'll hear it give that call. But we also have uh, downy woodpeckers that are fairly common. That's the smallest woodpecker that we have. A uh, little black and white bird that's got speckles all over it. Uh, and hairy woodpecker, which looks just about like a downy, but it's got a longer bill and it's bigger, and uh, hairy woodpeckers are more often found in, in pines. Are they uh, called hairy because they have long hair? Uh, well, no. s- sort of. They're hippies. Uh, both downy and hairy have a white stripe that goes down the back, and at the base of that, in the downy woodpecker, there are feathers that are fluffy like down, which is why it's called downy. And in the hairy woodpecker, the feathers are long, and hair-like, and that's why it's called the hairy. So it's kind of got like a little bit of a mullet sort of thing? Uh, it's it's down low on the back. Way down. Yeah. Party way down J- on the back. Right, right near the tail. Uh-huh. Yeah. Huh. That's really interesting. Yeah. We also have red-headed woodpeckers in nest here. Uh, red-headed are interesting because they both male and female look alike. You can't tell them apart with your binoculars, and they are... Woodpeckers that don't peck very much. In fact, they're terrible peckers. They have a hard time excavating their own cavities. And so they usually have to use a tree that is dyed and really rotted and has cracks going down the length of the trunk. And they use the the crack as a place to begin opening up the the cavity. But uh, more often now, they will uh, compete with and steal the cavity that a red-bellied woodpecker has ex- excavated. That's and, done all the work and, already. And use the red-bellied's cavity. Um, red-headed woodpeckers, though, are expert flycatchers, and they will perch on top of a utility pole or limb and fly out to catch flying insects or insects that are moving along the ground. They'll fly to the ground like a, a kestrel sometimes will to get its food. Do they eat... Uh... Mosquitoes? They don't eat mosquitoes Darn usually. They, I would love them even more if they did. Yeah, no, they're they're bigger than than that, and and they they feed more on grasshoppers and oh, things like that. They want a meatier uh, meal or flies, uh, big flies, horse uh, flies. Yeah. Are there any birds that need you know feeder assistance or housing assistance from humans for backyard enthusiasts? Are there any birds that could benefit from people? wanting to put things out, and is there a time of year that's better than others to do that? Well, the important thing if you want to attract birds to your yard is to be consistent in uh, having food out. Uh, More important than food sometimes is water. Uh, Water is pretty much free, and if you can keep a birdbath filled, a source of water filled, uh, they will come to the water to get water and particularly with the climate change that we've got and, and uh, some the drought phases we have, drought yeah. seasons, 
it's real important to have water. And maybe moving water more so than just stagnant standing water because we don't want the state bird mosquitoes growing well, in your bird bath. Moving water will attract the birds. The, the, the sound of water will attract the birds. Yeah. And it's also soothing for the people sitting around watching for the birds. Yeah. But and don't you have to keep those bird feeders pretty clean? You do have to keep the bird feeders and the, the bird baths clean. Ab- absolutely. And don't use soap. Uh, use a lot of uh, brushing uh, to clean them out. Uh, or if you do use soap, make sure you've, you've rinsed it and rinsed it and rinsed it so that the, the birds aren't going to be getting the, the soap. But the... Uh, Important thing is consistency. Keep food out. Different kinds of food uh, will attract different birds. Oil, sunflower seeds probably are the the best food for the most birds. Uh, And in the winter, we'll have a lot of migrants that come in and and will take advantage of feeders. But they will come to it year-round. They'll bring their young to the feeder. Uh, They will... uh, You'll see a lot of neat interactions. You'll see changes in the birds as they come to the feeder. Well, you mentioned before we came in the studio that this time of year is a really interesting time of year because some birds are molting off their feathers and coming in bald. And Yep. Uh, blue jays and uh, cardinals both will sometimes have a totally bare head. And I call them vulture cardinals and vulture blue blue jays. Like George Costanza of yeah. birds. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I'm just thinking of a bald headed cardinal. I can't imagine, but yeah. it happened. Does it happen every year? Yeah, it happens every year. And this is the time and, of year that you can see that. This is the time of year that all birds mount. All birds undergo a total change in feathers uh, once a year, and they have to do so in between breeding and uh, migration. And so it's right now that they're molting. That is so intriguing and interesting. Because their feathers wear. You know, I guess they wear out. Yeah. They get split ends. Yep. <laughs> Perhaps. Especially the hairy woodpecker, I would imagine. Um, I really want to thank you for coming and talking to me about woodpeckers and all things woodpeckers and even backyard bird stuff. I think that it's really interesting. And I'm really sorry about your the ivory-billed woodpecker no longer existing, no longer well, we've known here. that for a long time. That uh, it, you've already had time to adjust, but well, I yeah. guess the concern now is what happens to the habitat now that we don't yeah, have to worry the, about protecting the, the, them. The key is we need to persist in protecting the habitat and create new habitats, new old growth habitats over time and maintain them. But you told me there is still also a camp of people who really believes they're still out there. Oh, there are. There are the TBs. True believers. True believers. And uh, unfortunately, they're the ones making all the sightings, but they've never come up with Evidence. Yeah. Evidence of their sighting. All right. Well, thanks so much for talking with me. I appreciate it. You're most welcome. Thank you. That was Dr. Jerry Jackson, who you can hear on With the Wild Things every weekday at 7.20 a.m. here on WGCU or anytime online at WGCU.org. Our show today was produced by myself and Mike Canary. Our director is Richard Chinqui. Our social media manager is Tara Halligan. For now, thanks for listening. I'm Julie Glenn. This is WGCU-FM Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida 91.7.